Hello, and welcome to the Marysville Journal Tribune podcast. My name is Michael Williamson, and I'm here today with Mac Cordell, reporter, Kayleen Petrovia, reporter, Ali Lanassa, reporter. And Chad Williamson, managing editor. All right. So today on the show, we wanted to talk about something that is a, a difficult thing for newspapers to cover, just in general, um, but also, uh, you know, here at the Journal Tribune, we wanted to talk about the, the topic of covering suicides and how that might be uh, a difficult thing to do. So Kayleen, if you wanted to kick us off. Yeah. So just as we begin our conversation today, we want to give a quick warning to listeners that, like Mike said, we will be discussing topics of self-harm and suicide We know that this can be very painful for many people and is especially close to many of our community members' hearts, so we do want to share some resources as well. Please see the episode notes and listen to an announcement at the end of the podcast for some mental health resources here in our community. We do also understand that this can be a really tough conversation, so we're going to all do our best to speak with sensitivity and empathy today. And we know that we're not experts in mental health, but we do feel it's important to speak about how we, as reporters, address incidents of self-harm and suicide in our community. Yeah. Our goal is not to be graphic about it, but if we're going to talk about the way we cover the cover these things, I think the nuances, the differences in some of the situations is something that's got to be described, and there's no way to do that without something that could potentially upset somebody. Uh, who's been impacted by this or, or is even just particularly sensitive to it. Um, we got here, I guess, Mac, if you want to talk about this, because we had uh, a story about a couple of incidents that happened. Um, yeah, we had a, a story, I guess, last... March 1st, I think. March 1st. I think it was a Wednesday, uh, maybe Tuesday. Uh, but we had a story about uh, several suicides uh, and... Um, you know, there were two suicides within a matter of days of each other, and uh, one gentleman uh, took his life in front of a church, um, and a and a young lady um, took her life uh, in her home uh, by gunshot wound um, in an apartment, and then several days later, uh, there was another suicide uh, that was a a mother. Um, committed suicide. We didn't get in real big detail about that one, though. Yeah, we we didn't, but yeah. that was, I guess, why I was introducing that. Just yeah, we wrote a story about the two that were gunshot wounds that were suicide by a gunshot, um, and one family member, one family uh, has called and, and has been upset and, and has written a letter to the editor that will appear in Friday's newspaper, um, which neither of those are unusual in a situation like this. Um, unhappy that we listed the uh, name names of the deceased in these stories. Um, in that story, now in the coverage of the one more recently, we did not. And I suppose it's important to kind of discuss our policy here and, and then go back and look at kind of where we how we got there um, I don't know how long it's honestly having done the uh, managing editor's job 20 years I don't know how long ago we kind of established some rules for how we wanted to handle these things sometimes things you, you just know or you don't know if something's news um, but we felt like we needed to 
these are such sensitive personal topics. We had to come up with some type of guidelines so that we were a lot more uniform. And our reasoning was essentially, however much privacy the person sought in the act um, was the amount of privacy we felt they deserved in coverage of it. Um, if someone takes their, their life in a manner in their own home, whether it be pills or some other manner, and it's, and it's very private and it doesn't, you know, the neighborhood doesn't kind of get all in upheaval about it or know about it, then we essentially, a lot of times it's just a police beat issue. You know, our blotter will maybe put that someone police responded to an incident of what a mental crisis or how do we generally term that Kayleen? Honestly, it depends on how either the Marysville police department or the union County Sheriff's office words it. So sometimes they do refer to incidents like that as a mental health related incident. Other times they do say an attempted suicide or responded to a death investigation and it will include suicide. But for the most part, they tend to, um, omit any narrative surrounding that so then some of the exceptions when there is a when there is a gun involved and you know the one we had more recently it it was in an apartment the the, one of the two recent ones was was in an apartment community uh the neighbors basically were the ones who called for help heard the gunshot so they heard the gunshot uh First responders, police go running in. Um, you know, there's kind of a public scene created out of that. The other one at the church, you could argue, well, it wasn't necessarily done in public. I believe that happened overnight. Yes. And, but there was still a public nature to it. That's not to say that someone didn't hear the gunshot. One of the neighbors near didn't hear the gunshot. We've had other ones where people have. I, I, you know, not to be graphic about it, but gone out in the woods and mm-hmm. committed a similar act. And and we do write about it. And the gunshot and the sound a gunshot makes and the violent act of it, I believe, amplifies it in terms of a news, a news situation. The other thing, as I'm working on, that I was working through my head writing this column, is that there is a... How do I want to say it? There is a... Uh, potential for people to hear about a shooting victim, someone who has died of a gunshot wound, and fill in gaps. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, two people are talking down the corner. They see it down there. What happened down there? Well, I heard a gunshot. Yeah, I heard somebody's dead in there. I heard somebody, you know, but somebody got shot in there. And then that game of telephone happens to where people think someone's essentially been murdered. You know, so... I think there's there's look when when something like that a, a a fairly violent more public act like that happens we give that more detail in in the reporting of it um, there's also other situations that where if something happens in public there there have been unfortunate situations where people have done things like these in I think parks mm-hmm. um, parking lots of places. I don't know so much about that. We've had more than one, I believe, where someone did this and then burned their house down. I believe there was one in Mill Valley where 
there's an incident of suicide, and then the person set their house on fire, which then caught the neighbor's house on fire. I understand these stories are rough on families. You know, every time we write one, you know, that includes the name, or sometimes even when it doesn't. Right. We get the phone calls and we get the letters. It's It would be easier for us not to write them. If we wanted the easy way out, we would not write them. But, you know, there are questions that go through the public, you know, and what I, what I call, you know, there's the focus view and then the wide view of it. The focus view is the incident that happened, you know, and the questions surrounding that and just, you know, giving people the details that is news. And the wider view is, okay, what does this mean in the community that we had, we had three suicides in a week, right. two of them used a gun, you know, there's a wider crisis here and as we have shown in the past like we're we're you know we want to help with that like I, I know reporting on things like this can be difficult for families but it also starts conversations outside of those families you know I know it has with members of my family you know I, I know we have heard other members we had it we had a situation that impacted one of our staff members here and and that person gave us access and and was very open with us talking about it and it launched a year-long series on suicide in our community that ended up being award-winning and i think it led to some real change in the community in the way schools and mental health approached a lot of these situations you know it's not that we throw these things out there and make headlines to be sensational or sell newspapers it's it's a crisis situation especially when you see them in waves and i think we're seeing one right now mm -hmm. and you know i think people need to be aware of that you know and if and if we start seeing the same thing in terms of just sheer numbers if they're not they don't use a gun or whatever, you know, we'll start doing more stories on that. And and it's a it's a difficult thing. We have we have recrafted our policies over the years and, and we've we're at the one we're at now. Um, we've had reader advisory boards where we've had citizens come in and we just hash out topics and the issue of suicide coverage came up every time. Um, we even had people that wanted to sit on our board specifically to discuss suicide coverage and try to get us to change that. And I won't say that, that we changed necessarily what we cover, but it changed kind of the way we do it. You can talk about kind of what we do now since the, some of those discussions came out with what you kind of include uh, with your stories. We used to just simply just flatly report things but now we you know we try um i try when i write a story that involves a suicide i very much try to make sure that um we do tell the story uh, but also then provide resources tell folks here's where if you are experiencing a mental health crisis or if someone you know is experiencing a mental health crisis there are resources available and point them to those resources in a pretty in a pretty clear way um, in a pretty simple way just you know these are some phone numbers these are some places you can go to try to, to try to find some help um, 
my my goal has become with every suicide story that I write for it to be a conversation starter and more than that a an opportunity to get some good information out into the community you have signs of you have signs also yes I try of, to hear some things that, some things to look for if if you or a friend or you know a child yeah. is seeing these things and part of that came up because in that uh, reader advisory board um, someone brought the issue that when people read about suicide or see something about suicide it's a there is a I don't want copycats probably the wrong word but I know some um, organizations call it like a contagion effect if yeah that's what you're speaking yeah of. that's that's exactly what uh, this one kind of uh, advocacy lady she was trying to get us to change our policy was saying and um, so the thought was, well, we can't stop reporting on, we wouldn't stop reporting on murders because there more, might be more murders. But what we can do in a situation like this, if there is a fear that people will read about this and it will influence them to copy it, we can put these things in the story also that can help steer them in a different direction or get the help they need or, or help family members recognize, you know, if they're if they're reading about it, let them recognize these things in in family members. So, I think that's been that's been an exceptional kind of turn in our coverage that I've been happy with. I mean, it's not always the greatest thing ever to kind of have a boilerplate system of something like that, but I think for this situation, it's the exact. Uh, responsible thing to do with stories like yes, this. Yes, yeah, turn every story not into a news story, but also a, a public service. Um, right. Yeah, and there's kind of a coalition of um, nonprofit organizations, advocacy groups, also colleges that do some research into psychology and mental well-being, and they have kind of a checklist for responsible reporting, and their main thing is to report on suicide as a public health issue, and I think that kind of goes towards efforts of destigmatizing it and understanding that this is, you know, not a selfish action or the fault of that individual, but this is something our society is experiencing that, you know, people are seeking to alleviate and provide help for. And I think kind of what you're speaking of, Mac, is maybe a reporter's effort to pour into that a little bit. And, and I do know that um, from a, a community standpoint, um, Dr. David Applegate, who is the, the coroner here, uh, spoke at a, a staff meeting recently and said, hey, we are seeing, we've had, you know, each of the last, I think, two years, we've had a record number of suicides. I believe that's accurate. And I have a, uh, I have a call out to try and get some more information. But, um, you know, he, he did say we are seeing a spike over the last several years of suicides. He said it's not out of kind of the national average, but he said it's it's out of our average, right? And so he wants to make sure that we're addressing that. He said uh, later this week, I spoke with him actually this morning, he said later this week he is meeting with uh, Dr. Phil Atkins, who is the uh, head of the Mental Health and Recovery Board, uh, in an effort to just sit down and say, okay, what can we do to address this? And obviously... Uh, Dr. Applegate is a, a physician as well, so he's you know he comes from that that standpoint. But what can we do as a community to to help our yeah. members who are struggling? Dr. Applegate is very, 
I think sometimes uh, physical doctors, they, like they see the, he would see the numbers and he mm-hmm. sees, hey, we've got something, you know, delving into the psychology behind it and things like that because I think you're going to see it. I agree with you. I think I'll bet, I'll bet for the rest of the year we continue to write about this and it, it sounds it sounds like an oversimplification, but rising inflation, rising mm-hmm. gas prices, rising turmoil, you know. They say, you know, financial troubles lead to whatever percentage it is of, of failed marriages. Well, then you failed marriages playing into increased suicide rate, financial troubles leading to, I mean, this whole issue, I mean, we're just starting to feel like we're coming out of this pandemic and people are going to get hit with more financial turmoil. Right. There's no way that helps. And I think as you look at, just in general, you have not just the financial issues, but turmoil around the world. And I think there is a, a growing sense almost of helplessness and just frustration with where the world is. We're going to come back into an election cycle where a lot of those things are going to get start to get thrown around again. And those battle lines are going to get start to get drawn up again. Right. And names will get called and people that, you know, insults people that, will be thrown. People that you deal with on a regular basis are going to become almost enemies again. And, and, yeah. and according to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, some of the things you just talked about are risk factors that um, people who are considering um, to attempt or die by suicide um, that may affect them. So like the job or financial loss, um, the local clusters of suicide, or knowing someone who has also committed suicide. Um, That's the area where we would play into it that, that's that aspect where they would say well getting the word out about the where there is a cluster is something is what we do so but the, the idea of knowing someone who has committed suicide you know I, I know that I spoke with a family member um, who had a family member commit suicide and they said they didn't really want to end their life but they considered they had suicidal ideations mostly because they didn't want their daughter to be alone. And, like, it terrified her you that, interviewed, her, that you her interviewed daughter f- would be alone. A friend also. Yes. Those, they were essentially each other's best friend, and therefore when the one left... The world was a, it was created a lonely a, place for them. Yeah, it created a void for the other person when they were there, each other's kind of support system. Go ahead, uh, Allie. I know you had more. Oh, um... So, yeah, those were some of the main ones. Um, also, like, additional alcohol or other substance use, um, mental health disorders, um, maybe a lack of health care. There were some of the, the known risk factors, but also for loved ones to be aware. Um, some of the warning signs are um, talking about wanting to die or, or to kill themselves, talking about feeling trapped or in unbearable pain, um, acting anxious or agitated, sleeping too little or too much, Extreme mood swings, um, again, talking about feeling hopeless or having no reason to live um, or withdrawing or isolating themselves are some key signs for family members to look out for if they believe someone that they love is experiencing um, these suicidal thoughts. And I think that's really helpful to know, and I know we've talked a little bit about kind of the the maybe cluster contagion effect. Um, when I was in school at Ohio State for my job, we had to go through suicide prevention training, which was a few weeks long and shared different information like this. And I certainly don't know the 100% way 
correct way to report on this, but I think going through that training just as a human being and community member is helpful. And one of the things that they shared with us is if someone is considering suicide or experiencing suicidal ideation, you speaking to them and offering help isn't going to push them towards that option. Mm -hmm. And I think that was something I would have thought differently before. And how do you, how do you mean explain that a little more? So if you noticed one of these warning signs that Ali may have mentioned that you have a friend or a loved one who's continually speaking about a desire to die or acting in a way that's unusual for them, that may lead you to believe that you speaking to them and saying, hey, some of the things you've said have concerned me and I'm worried about you. I care about you. Can we go and call this number together or can I offer you these resources? I'll be here for you. Isn't going to make someone think well, you think that I may take this action, so now I actually have to do it. Instead, it may give them a lifeline. And I think that's kind of a difficult thing as well because as people, it's just hard to know, well, what should I say without crossing a boundary? And I think kind of the hope in reporting on this is to make these resources available and well-known. And like I know Mac writes in his stories, not just if you are experiencing this, but if a loved one is experiencing this and to hopefully empower people to say, you know, like this is something that people experience and it's not a fault with that individual person and we can give them help instead of shying away from that. Kind of going off of what you said, Mac, one of the other um, pieces of advice for responsible reporting from that organization was to emphasize help and hope. And I think that's always a goal in your coverage. I personally don't think I've written about um, an incident of suicide or an individual who has died by suicide. But I think when we write about people who are recovering from alcohol use or drug use, there's always a focus on the hope of recovery. And we tell a lot of stories of people who are going through recovery or assist others in recovery. And I think that's kind of encouraged with individuals who are experiencing mental health issues or struggling with suicidal ideation that, you know, there is hope and there are others who can provide the help that you may be seeking or may need. And I think this community has a lot of outlets for help for people. And I think one of the things that I appreciated most as a an outcome of uh, the series of stories that we wrote while we do have a lot of op- opportunities for help in this community, like it became overwhelming and you felt almost claustrophobic because there were so many doors, you didn't know which one. And it, if you went through the wrong door, oh, well, you're, you're not a teenager, so this program is not for you, or you're not a veteran, so this program isn't for you. And, you know, I think they've done a very good job of, you know, recognizing at that point some things and saying, okay, just come in a door. Mm-hmm. And we will we will take you by the hand and walk you to the right, right door, um, so that you are we get you in the program. You don't have to find the program you need. Just come come seek help. Come see us. We will help you. Whatever that looks like. And the schools. And I, I don't mean mm-hmm. to say that our our series launched this, but the the schools then started there. And I always mess navigator. up the navigator program mm-hmm. whereby. They have people in the schools now that essentially are there, almost like a reporting station. If someone notices a friend of theirs or a teacher notices a student that's 
starting to show some of these signs or says something, they even go the extra step of kind of walking them through that door. They help them immediately and try to, you know, we recognize that when you were doing that series for teens, it was essentially, well, there's a meeting, you know, there was a group, but like you, the kid would have to take the initiative to recognize it, find the meeting, overcome that fear of going into the meeting. And it, it became clear that even for an older child, like a teenager, an older teenager, like they needed somebody to hold their hand. They needed somebody to walk with them through that door because it's a scary process to admit that, start that. So that was a very positive thing. Again, I don't know that it was our series that started that, but the community definitely started recognizing that they had a problem in in the teen mentality of seeking help. Mm -hmm. And that was a huge thing. I think even Triad does that now, don't they? I wrote a bit about that, so I don't I don't know as much about this issue as Mac or Chad um, as reporting on suicide as a whole, but they actually, the state allocated, um, I believe they were called mental health and wellness dollars, or correct me if I'm wrong, but there was a label for these dollars that were allocated to schools. Social-emotional health has been a yes. big... And it was specifically... It's almost a testing structure now. It is almost in with some of their testing. Mm-hmm. Not, not their actual state testing, but they have actual testing to see, mm-hmm. you know, some of these if some of these kids might through that. But I know that's a big Marysville has tons of data on yes. social mm-hmm. emotional yeah. wellness. And these dollars were specifically for what the state deemed wraparound services. So the school district was able to determine what they felt their district needed most for their students. And I know for Triad and I believe North Union, a couple other districts added that navigator position. And it's because they saw, hey, we may have one mental health counselor in our school district, but we need someone who's almost more consistently looking out for our students and being a little more proactive. And I know at Triad, they even had their navigator helping during the summer as well because they recognize that, hey, if students are getting this help nine months a year, that's wonderful. But when they go home for three months, trouble may rise again. Right. For someone and, who's struggling, mm-hmm. summer isn't always, you know, a great, a great place. Or, right. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think it's been very encouraging to see school leaders um, recognize self-harm and suicide as something that they should be addressing as well. And just mental health as a whole. And I know one of the um, school leaders that I spoke to for that was like, schools are moving into a role where we care for students' well-being beyond just their education. And I think that's been really important in efforts to destigmatize seeking mental health um, assistance, help, you know, even going to support groups and things like that. I think the more normalized it becomes among young people, the better and better outcomes there will be. Right. It's got an interesting parallel to police officers in schools in that it served a dual function when they brought uh, resource officers mm-hmm. in schools. One, they wanted kids to have a quick avenue to tell the officer, hey, something, this kid's got something in their locker or whatever, you know, where the officer receives tips about harmful, you know, activity within the schools. But they also, it showed children in hallway situations that police officers were not their enemy. Right. They could be funny. They can joke with them. They're friendly. And 
they recognize that, well, we have to get those officers in close contact with those kids to build those relationships. And now they're doing the same thing mm-hmm. with mental health advocates, which, you know, I think there's a lot of strides being made to destigmatize this. The conversations are being had. You know, there's still people that have a fear or shame to it with it. But, you know, those walls are slowly lowering, I think, as a whole. I hope that continues because I think you have seen politically a push back against um, social emotional health. You know, yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. The SEL. Um, I didn't know that. that. I didn't know that was in with everything. So, yeah, that was one of the, education that one of the things against. that a, one of the school board members, um, I think running Jonathan Alder, was talking about was kind of SEL. Um, and so, I, but I don't know. I don't know how deep that goes, whether that's, you know, those wraparound services and, or whether it's kind of more tied to to some other things. Yeah. But Yeah, I think in general I've seen a lot of empathy in our community. And a couple of years ago, actually right at the – before kind of the start of the pandemic, so I guess in 2019 there was – a mental health consortium at the Union County Health Department. They had school leaders there, police leaders, fire and EMS. I mean, people from all throughout Marysville with just a real genuine desire to try to provide the resources we can in our community and help people who are struggling with their mental wellness to know that people are there for them. And I think it's tough because, like Allie mentioned, there are so many factors that can lead to people Um, considering suicide or carrying out self-harm so it's difficult to address it with one sweeping solution because you talk to someone who's dealing with financial troubles differently than you may talk to someone who is dealing with relationship issues so there are many roots of the issue which makes it something that needs a lot of solutions but I think overall in the time that I've been in this community I've seen people in so many different professions really trying to do their part to play into the solution, whatever it may be. I, I tell you, that was shortly after you, maybe you started working here that that consortium was, mm-hmm. which wouldn't have been long after we probably completed that series. And that's why we write stories and then springboard those into series is because you have to talk about it. There was a time when suicide was something to be, you know, to be quiet about it, to not talk about it, to act like it didn't happen, it, you know, let it be a family secret. Don't, you know, it's nobody's business. We write these stories and then people see things that are behind some of these acts and people start seeing, well, maybe they should have seen or known and normalizing the discussion about it. I say again, we don't want to write these stories. I hate every time we have to write one. I think there's a concept that we just want to put that in a headline and make it happen. I don't want to write them. I don't want to put them in. I I can't stand them. It, we stress over it. We struggle with how to be fair and appropriate. And every time it draws complaints from the family. And the problem is the family's not wrong. Right. Every, that letter to the editor I've got out there it is well-written. And it is heartbreaking and it is accurate and factual and true. 
and this is a family in great pain. I mean, they're really struggling with kind of what what happened and and you know at their loss, and they're really struggling. They're not wrong, right? But at the same time, with a job to do, I ha- always have to say, I don't think we're wrong either. I think we're trying to do the right thing. I think we're trying to have a consistency to it. You know, I think we're trying to, you know, balance a news slash compassion there where, you know, we give some privacy in some situations and sometimes we still have to do what we have to do, you know, and write the story and, and hopefully, you know, it goes on and starts the conversations. I mean, that's right. why I think Kayleen's observation that when she came here and, and sat through that meeting and saw real empathy, mm-hmm. me having been here longer, I think there was a time that empathy was lacking. Right. That it was a dirty little secret. I'm glad that it's out there. I'm not glad that we have the problem. I'm glad that empathy and solution-minded people are out there now coming together because we recognize, look, it's not the secret in the back alley anymore. It's here. And our role in that is what it is, is, you know, it's not, we didn't do, I'm not saying we did all of this, but normalizing that conversation, Mm -hmm. bringing in people that can help solve it. It's not all just mental health professionals. Sometimes there's funding mechanisms that are needed Mm -hmm. and you bring those people to the table, you know, and, and you start, that's how anything gets solved community wide is when people aren't scared to talk about anymore. But the, the unfortunate consequence of that is a grieving family has another level of I don't even know the word for it I guess just hurt another another layer of of you know toil and and turmoil over it because there is a a a public recognition now Mm -hmm. of what happened and you know that was what was so strong about our staff member I know when we talked about it Mac and I sat there and we thought, she seems the type that might accept what this is and that some good could come from this. It could, your pain could be a springboard to community benefit. And I think it, I think if she steps back and looks at it, it absolutely I think has. So. I think so too. I, I think the things that she has done, you know. She does it, per, her name's Vanessa, her, her personally, she does things on her own and her opening up to us and letting you tell that story, which then led to other pieces of that story mm-hmm. too. Um, it's, it's in the small details and, you know, her opening up on that. And we struggle with even that, whether or not to ask her. Yeah. I, I, I've had some, some difficult conversations as a reporter um, talking to people, calling people. I just, I've, I've had some very difficult conversations. I don't know that I've ever had a more difficult conversation or I don't probably, I guess, dreaded a conversation the way that I dreaded going to Vanessa and saying, hey, you know me, you know what we're about. Would you be willing to sit down and talk with us? Um, but she was, you know, Vanessa really did understand that, hey, this is an opportunity for some conversation to get started and for some good to come from what was a very hurtful situation. And that was, was that five, four or five years ago, probably, Kayleen, right before you started here, you said you felt like things were getting better, and I think I would agree with that on a lot of regards. And 
I fear we might be spiraling back into where we were in those days where I, I just feel a spike of this. And I, I think those, uh, I think those decision makers have done a good job and I think it might be time to come back to the table and start thinking again. Yeah. You know, it, just because they did a really great job doesn't mean they can't adjust and, and do some other things. And and I think the the things that were happening, you know, several years ago, the world's a very different place now. So the stressors on families, That's the stressors right. on individuals are different. In now. between so then and now has been COVID. Yeah. So there may be, we may have to look and say, okay, that worked at that time. And that was a solution for the world as it was then. But the world's very different now. So how do we adjust our approach to deal with a changing world? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I don't know this for a fact, but I think there is some potential here that in funneling dollars to battle COVID, mental health money might have dried up. I don't know that. I'm, I'm, I'm strictly pulling that out of the air. But I know, you know, if you're if you're looking at mental health in overall health, mm -hmm. And you're having to pull a bunch of money into fighting a virus. It, there's a potential that some of these mental health funding sources or something like that might have dried up. Again, I don't know that. Well, I know Allie did some research about kind of a cool, I think, federal initiative that provides a larger resource for people. Sure. Um, so the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline will remain as is, and that number is one 800 273 talk or 8255 um, but in addition to that starting on July 16th um, individual people to call and text the number 988 um, and the point of that is is to have a simple number that people can remember just like 911 that will be easy as well as help individuals to um, maybe avoid calling 911 for a mental health crisis when what they really need is to have um, maybe counselors or mental health experts um, to respond to a scene. How and far along is that towards being actually in place? July 16th. July 16th. Of, of this year? Yes. Okay. Um, and so the direct three-digit line um, will go to trained counselors, um, and so that way maybe paramedics something won't come to the scene but you'll be able to talk to counselors this is a 24 7 service um that will be available very soon um so again this is really a point that the national suicide prevention lifeline really wants to encourage people to um if there's a need for fire or rescue emergency to call 911 but if it's an urgent mental health need to call 988 and you will be able to text this. Um, but in the meantime, the National Suicide Prevention Line also has an online chat through their website that you can do if you um, don't wanna talk on the phone. That is another resource. Um, and this was really brought about um, because the suicide rate has increased about 30% since 1999 nationally. Um, and it is the leading, second leading cause of death among young people and the 10th leading cause of death in the U.S. And so they really wanted to have another resource for people um, because the Lifeline receives about 2.4 million calls um, as of 2020. And so they're trying to have another resource for people to contact. I'll say two things about that. I think the idea of having a three-digit alert number like 911 is a fabulous idea for this. Nobody thinks twice about calling 911 and everybody knows it. The second thing I'll say is they better push that number. If they don't push it, it won't be 911. Mm -hmm. 
you know, I, I, you know, I don't know whether that's advertising. I don't know whether, again, this is a ridiculous thing and you two won't even understand what I'm saying, but it almost needs to be a thing like the Mr. Yuck stickers. Right. I remember Mr. Yuck stickers. When we were younger, there was this Mr. Yuck campaign where they would give out these, they were green, yeah, bright green. like stickers. Oh, poisoning your yes. Mouth. And you labeled everything and then all kids knew what Mr. Yuck was. Right. So what I'm saying is. 988 needs to get to where 911 is. There has got to be a thoughtful campaign to get out of there. I think it's a great idea. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I would imagine there are times when someone is at their lowest of lows that they don't want to sort through papers to find a long website to type in or a long phone number to type. But in their last minute, might if they if it if it is second nature in your mind, if you know it like 911 you might type 988. Mm -hmm. And I think if we get to there, that's a fabulous tool. But the the problem struggle right now is that it needs appropriate funding, um, which I did not know about. But um, according to this from National Suicide Hotline, um, states can exercise a fee for 988 like they do with 911. Um, That way that it would be funded. It also, um, to transition into this number, it requires additional policy changes um, and a substantial amount of funding support from federal and state governments. But the legislation passed in October 2020 um, and it is supposed to be implemented in July. Well, it depends on how they're going to use it. Are they going to use it? A lot of that money behind 911 is from location services and and the need to be able to find that person even if they can't mm-hmm. talk. I, I don't know if this 988 is going to be the same thing or if it's essentially they direct connect them to someone to talk to as opposed to, but I suppose there's a benefit to the location idea behind it. So I don't know. Unfortunately, I could see that as being something that starts, that becomes a political issue. I worry about that too. I worry that if states need to appropriately fund in the air of yelling at people and calling them snowflakes yeah that you show how tough you are by not funding something like that that would be unfortunate do you want to talk about any of the local resources that you include in the articles so locally if you go to the mental health and recovery board website and that that is mhrbuc uh right on the home page there's a button for i'm in crisis there's a button for kind of a confidential screening where you can kind of go through a process and, you know, it helps kind of some, some folks assess, hey, do we need to get you some help? Wouldn't that um, be nice if we could get buttons like that everywhere? I know. Mm-hmm. Almost every municipality, county, city, agency just has a button like that. There is a, a 24-7 crisis hotline uh, locally, and that number is 800 800- Seven three one five five seven seven, or you can text for help to eight five five one one, and so that allows you to you know that's right on their on their homepage. I think because there's a recognition that um, that's important. And we'll include information about this in the show notes as well. But I do want to give a shout out to Wings Support and Recovery also. A lot of these local agencies partner and work together, so it's not to say that one resource is elite, but just that there's a wealth of resources, and I know Wing Support and Recovery really emphasizes that peer support and understanding that others have been through this and made it through and are there to help now, so 
they have all kinds of support groups, but they also just have fun activities like cooking classes and things like that. So it's another resource for people to go to if they're just trying to better their mental health and maybe aren't necessarily in crisis at that moment. We talk about the changing face of Marysville, and I think having lived here a long time, I think I think there was a time this county and this city thought, okay, we're Mayberry and we're so small and close knit, we don't want we don't want we don't want to admit people have are in crisis and might commit suicide. We don't want to admit there might be homelessness and now people are working on a homeless shelter, which is something we might talk about in a future podcast. But I think at least now there is the recognition that this county is growing so fast and it's so big and the city is growing so fast and it's so big that you can't bury your head in the sand and think these problems aren't here. You've got to deal with them, right. you know, on a grown-up level and start helping the people that are not being served, The you know, finding the people that need help instead of acting like they don't exist. And And that's a positive because I don't think that was always the case. I think we used to want to just act like things like that didn't happen here or people like that weren't here or, you know, we're such a great community that nobody's in crisis. Right, who would be in crisis in a community that's great? You know, I think some people think those problems are being brought in now. That's not the case. They were always here. You know, it's just nobody talked about them. Mm -hmm. So at the very least, and here again, I, I like to think we start some of those conversations. I like to think... You know, people want to say we sensationalize and we just want to sell newspapers, but we also take some of the stigma away of, you know, this is not the first time this has happened. Mm -hmm. You know, this is not the first family that has had to deal with these situations, you know, that, that doesn't make their pain any less in the, in the near, but maybe down the road, you know, I, I've never, when I've had an angry family member, because we've written a suicide story, call in. I, I've never gotten them to uh, recognize our side of it. And and I just get that. A lot of times at that point, as you and I have talked, Mac, it's, it's about letting them vent. Um, they're hurting, they're upset, and they're angry. Um, and they can't tell the person they're angry at how they feel. So we catch, you know, we catch a lot of heat. Um, but if we're going to stand up and write these stories, we've got to take that heat and, and we do. So, you know, that's our role. That's our, ultimately, I think the price of taking that heat is, is worth it to be able to, to tell those stories and to get that information out and to years ago, I may not have agreed with that. It seemed like we were just getting yelled at to get yelled at and I didn't feel like we were necessarily doing any good. Recently, in the last five years, with mm -hmm. the series, with the things, the conversations we've had with mental health professionals around here, and feeling we fit into this puzzle somewhere, I, I feel a lot more confident that it, it's worth. Right, it's worth it. Um, I still don't like it. It's still difficult. It's they're very emotional phone calls, and you know, they think we're wrong. I think we're both right. I, I think both of us are handling it. They should be upset, and we should be prepared to do it again because that's kind of our role. That is, you know, police don't want to arrest everybody. We don't want to write nothing but negative stories 
or we don't want to write negative stories, I guess, at all. But sometimes that's the nature of the business if you're going to start the conversations. And as reporters, we follow the Society of Professional Journalists Ethics Code, um, and in that is to minimize harm. And as part of that, I think this really shows our argument that, yes, we realize reporting can be harmful, um, but we're also trying to prevent suicide and to raise awareness and in, in the society in general to minimize harm by speaking out about it. I, I can't say how important I think just taking that dirty little secret idea away from so many things in this community. I remember when we didn't want to admit that heroin was here. Yeah. Nobody wanted to talk about it. Oh, it was some dirty person from Columbus that brought heroin into our community. Then we had to write stories about homegrown people using heroin. Yep. And that's when the conversation changed. That's when things started to happen, and that's when people stood up and looked at it as a real community problem, not a, you know, outlier. Yeah, bed community. You know, a a, a transient problem. It, it was our problem. And some of these things are the same way. And, you know, we find more and more of these things like that where at, at some point we just have to admit, stand up and admit that, you know, it, it's everybody's, I don't want to say it's everybody's failure, but it's everybody's problem. It's everybody's issue. It's something everybody concerned with. I, I wouldn't want to know the family in this community that would ever stand up and go, well, that never happened in my family. can't say that. Right. If you, if you say that, you're setting yourself up for a big fall. I mean, you should, you should know these warning signs we talk about. You know, you should know where to go. You know, I hope more people do now. I know that both the, the heroin series and the suicide series have impacted the way that I parent and the way that I have conversations with Jonah now, my oldest, and will have conversations with the rest of my kids because, you know, this isn't just, as you said, you know, these aren't people who live in a, uh, you know, under a bridge in Detroit and, you know, these aren't dirty people and, and suicide isn't, you know, people that you think of as, well, they're just there's something wrong with that peop that person. These are, these are our family members. These are these are our community members. They come from, you know, all sorts of families and all sorts of backgrounds. And you can't just say it's this one thing. And if I don't fall into this one demographic, I'm okay. It's not that. You know why people call us angry? Because those pe those people had families. They weren't alone, struggling, drowning here. Mm -hmm. They had families that cared about them. That's that's why those families that call us are so hurt is because they cared about these people. You know, that's why they're angry now. You know, it, it is. It's the, the I would almost argue that the better families are the one, you know, the, the families that cared the most, the right. biggest families are the ones we hear from the most because they, they, there is guilt. They feel like they should have done more or recognize something. And I, I, I've been taught, you know, that anger is a result of hurt and hurt is a result of unmet expectations. And you had, you know, certain expectations about this person's life and what, what you guys would be able to do, you know, how you would spend the next, you know, whatever, 30, 40, 50 years of your lives together. And now suddenly that's gone. And so they're dealing with that, that hurt and that manifests itself in anger 
um, as you said, you know, they can't be angry at the person um, that that hurt them. So they will be angry at someone, at someone close, you know, that they can be angry at. And they can be safe being angry at that person. I don't, I never have hung up a phone. I, sh- I guess maybe I shouldn't say never. Some of them are a little bit rude, but I- I've never hung up the phone when somebody's angry at me or at us because we've run a suicide story like these and thought no it bothers me I'm not saying it doesn't bother me and I'll wear it on my shoulder for a couple of days but it's never because I was mad at the person that called me it's because the whole situation just sucks yeah yeah sorry it sucks but that's all it is it's 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 just weight I wear it's, the it's weight not, of every story I write about not this. It's anger at the person that called. It's not let no good whatever, you know, they don't know what they're talking about. They do know what they're talking about. They're not wrong. Right. You know, it's it's just unfortunate. It's, you know, it's a social worker that has to take a child away from a family because it's what's best for the child. They're doing what they need to do. But it's unfortunate, and, it, and it, I would imagine it wears on them. It wears on us to write these negative stories that have repercussions, have blowback on us. But it's it's what you have to do. I mean, if we want to be lazy reporters, if we want to be a, you know, if we want to bury our heads in the sand, we could not write these stories. It would certainly save the weight on my back and the tension on my neck mm-hmm. to not have to talk to grieving family members, but we don't do that. You know, I, I think people don't realize that. It'd make my job a lot easier if we never ran another suicide story. But that doesn't help the community. It's not, fu- it's not responsible. It helps nobody. All right, so that's the show for this week. We did mention that uh, we wanted to say here at the end of the show uh, to, to be able to give some some resources to members of the community, um, some mental health and suicide prevention resources. Uh, so we'll include those here as well as in the show notes, as we mentioned before, uh, which is just the the description there of the podcast. When you go to click on the podcast to listen, you have a description there of the episode. And so located in that description, we'll have uh, these these places and numbers so that you actually can see the, the numbers there in front of you. Uh, but we'll go ahead and mention them here. So Uh, Some resources locally include the Mental Health and Recovery Board of Union County. Uh, They have a 24-7 crisis hotline, and you can call that 1-800-731-5577, or you can text for the number 4HELP, H-E-L-P, to 85511. You can also contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK, That's 1-800-273-8255. And then remember we mentioned beginning July 16th, there's the National Suicide Prevention Hotline uh, change in the number, which can be reached by dialing 988. Uh, You can also contact Nationwide Children's Hospital Crisis Hotline, and that's for youth with an immediate need, and that's at 614-772-1800. Uh, And then again, here locally, you have Mary Haven, which offers walk-in crisis services during their business hours. Uh, That's located at 15 South Plum Street there in Marysville. And their number is 937-644-9192. We also mentioned Wing Support and Recovery. 
uh, located at 729 South Walnut Street in Marysville. Uh, you know, and they work to combat the stigma of mental illness and addiction by supporting different paths to recovery. Wings host uh, support groups and social activities as well as uh, providing resources. And they can be reached at 937-642-9555. So again, for more information and more resources, do visit those show notes there uh, located in the description of the podcast. So thanks again for listening and we will see you next week.